Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good evening, everyone. So, yep, my name is uh, Dr. Matthew James Gray, or just Matt, because it's a heck of a lot easier to say. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've known Carl for many years and um, really appreciate the chance to come and speak with you guys. Um, so uh, I've been lecturing there since 2008. Um, last year I became the Head of Divinity, which is a massive overreaching title. Uh, kind of just on the edge of blasphemous and then just kind of pulls back. Um, what that really means is I um, run a thing called our Divinity Program, which is for people who want to learn about Gotti stuff, but have already done a bachelor's degree in something that isn't Gotti. Um, but the main things that I, I um, uh, lecture in are church history and theology. See, Ollie's there. I, I got to tell you, Ollie and I like have a little bit of a man crush thing going. He was like my favourite student. You know, I'd like to think I was his favourite lecturer. You know, um, uh, my PhD was actually in the Baptists, um, and obviously that's part of your tradition. Um, and uh, uh, this is a big week for church historians. We've got Reformation Day on October 31st, which is something else too, and um, uh, on uh, uh, November 1st, the very next day, we get All Saints Day, which is like, it's the party time. I, I, I'm trying to sell it to my kids, so I, um, I, I said, no, we're not going out for, you know, anything on, on October 31st with Halloween, but I'll buy you lots of chocolate for November 1st. <laughs> and, I, and my daughter's got a little bit of a, you know, uh, thrifty streak to her, so I, I informed her, the great thing is, if you buy all the chocolate on November 1st, you get it at half price. <laughs> So you get twice as much. And she went, yeah, and Jesus is good too. Um, you know, uh, it's a char- but really, I mean, what this is about is it's a, it's a long-standing Christian holiday to celebrate the great heroes and heroines of our past. It's a chance to celebrate all the great things they've done um, and what ties us to all of them, which is, of course, Jesus, the, the same person that they worshipped is the God that we worship too. You know, the other name for All Saints Day, um, which is always on November the 1st, is All Hallows Day, right? So, um, hallowed be your name, holy be your name. So, hallowed is just a different word for holy. And um, saints are just basically God's holy people, you know. Um, We identify them with, uh, often with like the, the really superstar kind of people, but really it's anyone who is, a, is sanctified by God, made holy by him. And um, uh, uh, particularly those that have died and gone before us, we're often identified with that. So the evening before All Hallows Day was called the Hallow Evening. And eventually they kind of cut that back a little and it just became the Halloween. And... Um, it's a day, Halloween is actually a day based on comparison. It's, look at all how wonderful and amazing the heroes, and like, those guys are great, all the ones that they're celebrating on, on November 1st. 
gee, how much must those that didn't make it suck? They must really be horrible. They must be like witches and, and all kinds of horrible stuff. Right? So it's actually a day where people are kind of going, in, compared to this mob, who are fantastic and amazing, this bunch of pretty yuck, aren't they? And here's the weird thing for me about that. That means we've actually got the better day. As Christians, we've got the better one. We've got the one where we got the good ones. They got the, the not good ones. Right? And yet, really, celebrating what is a better holiday has lost its popularity for us. What's with that? I think it's largely indicative of many of us just forgetting our past, forgetting our heritage, which, all bias aside, because I'm the church historian, I think is a bit of a shame. Um, uh, because Christians have done some really amazing things. We have brought hope to the hopeless. We have transformed societies. Through the power of Jesus Christ, we have done incredible things. And you know what? We, it, like, there's lots of people who have worked out some really incredible theology, stuff that actually makes so much more sense of what's going on for us. You know, that, that help us make sense of God, the universe, ourselves, each other. In fact, Carl and I were um, uh, talking all, earlier this week, and we were saying, what could, what's a good example of that? What could I show people? And so I thought what I'd show you tonight is the Apostles' Creed. Now, you know that song by Hillsong that we were just singing there? You might be shocked, shocked to hear that they didn't write it. They stole it. Like, it was okay because they were asked to steal it. John Dixon, who's come here before, John told them, can you steal it? It'd be really good if you could write a musical version of the Apostles' Creed. I taught lots of classes over the, uh, uh, on the early church over the years. I'm teaching one now. I've got one of my students in, in here tonight. And, um, uh, and over that time, I've come to really appreciate the, the role of creeds. Not over and against the Bible by any means, but actually alongside and complementing that. Um, I, in fact, I have a slightly beefier one on my wall, the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed. Right? Um, uh, and um, uh, it's, it's in the original Greek, hanging on my office. Um, the Greeks have a much simpler name for it. They just call it Kespistheos, which means just the things we believe. That's it. Because who really wants to go around saying Constantinopolitan or everything? Um, uh, and that's the, the first thing I, I want to actually point out, is that Greek name, which is just, this is what we believe, they're just a quick summary of what all Christians believe. Christians have always had creeds, in that sense. Most New Testament scholars believe that what Paul is doing in the passage that I'm about to read to you now, right, is just a summary of the Christian beliefs that the church put together um, from the beginning. So here's the first one. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Right? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or, or Peter, and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So 
what you have to understand about what Paul's saying here is he's saying, when I was converted, I received this. And what he means by receiving it is that it was a creed that he was taught. Okay? Then, when he started his mission to the Corinthians and he's bringing them to Christ and everything like that, how does he do it? Well, he does what they did for him. He passes them on the creed. Right? And he did it as of first importance. It was a high priority for the early church. Creeds were very important because they helped ensure that everybody was kind of on the same page. And that's also true of the later creeds I was talking about, the Nicene, Constantinopolitan one, and all the rest of them. In fact, when we go through the Apostles' Creed in a second, what you'll notice is basically it's just elaborating on some of the points that Paul's Creed says here. Well, it's probably not written by the Apostles themselves. The Apostles' Creed accurately summarizes what the Apostles were on about and what they were teaching early Christians. There isn't anything in it that is particularly one denomination. You know, it's not, it's not Baptist, it's not Catholic, it's not Orthodox, it's not Presbyterian, it's not Anglican. In fact, it's because it's not any of them, it's all of them. Right? Okay? Um, uh, in fact, either the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Constantinopolitan one is actually recited every Sunday in the vast majority of Christian churches around the world. Has been for nearly 2,000 years. It's really only in the last kind of 400 years or so in churches like Baptist, Church of Christ, Pentecost, that kind of group, that it hasn't, for interesting reasons I'll talk about in a minute, there's, there's nothing that's really that controversial about them. I mean, you have to, uh, you, you have a listen to the Apostles' Creed as I read it out, and it'll be up on the screen, and you tell me if any of it doesn't sound legit. Okay? Um, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our, God, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic, as in the universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. It's all pretty safe stuff, isn't it? Right. The only one that might make, make us feel a little antsy is the Catholic bit. Um, but really, that's actually using the, the word Catholic in its most ancient meaning. Um, not in terms of the Catholic denomination, because there weren't denominations when the Apostles' Creed was written. It's, it means universal. Um, it's essentially there to remind the church of Jesus' final command to us, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You know, Matthew 28, Acts 1 type stuff. Anyway, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. I get a bit excited about creeds. Um, uh, for now, let's just go back to the concept of why we would do creeds at all. It might be helpful to just step back a bit right from the start and actually look at why we as um, Baptists, part of your tradition, haven't used them. Because some people might worry about that, you know. It's like, you, you ever had a couple that you know that had a really bad breakup? 
but you never actually found out why. And so you're kind of sitting there going, was it her? Was it him? I can't really ask. And you can kind of feel like that a bit with the, the creeds. You can be like the Baptists and the creeds. It sounds like they broke up. Who is the one that was wrong? Because I'm still with the Baptists. I hope awkward, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, uh, well, we looked at the Apostles' Creed, and it seems pretty legit. So there, there's, a, you know, what's the, the hidden problem here? Right? Um, uh, well, it's really not as bad as it might sound. My PhD was on the early Baptists, and they started kind of in the middle of the 1600s. And one of our central beliefs as Baptists was a thing that I call liberty of conscience, because that's what they called it, right? Um, uh, any of you guys heard of the concept of liberty of conscience? It's kind of important. Um, what it meant was the freedom to believe whatever you want and the freedom to express those beliefs freely meeting with other people who believe the same thing. Now, that's a really important definition, and I'll give it to you again, because it might have some relevance to contemporary issues, <laughs> hypothetically speaking, right? That you are meant to have the freedom to believe whatever you want, the freedom to express those beliefs, and to freely meet with other people who believe the same thing. That is why, as Baptists, we insisted on adult baptism, because only adults can make a decision for themselves. When Anglicans baptized every baby automatically, it was kind of like you were forcing them to become a Christian because they hadn't had the chance to make the decision for themselves. Right? Baptists felt that people should have the right to believe what they wanted and that we should tolerate people freely expressing their alternative opinions. Now, just on that, Often when you hear people talk like that, about respecting the right of other people's opinions and stuff like that, it's for what I might call relativistic, cynical, postmodern reasons. You know, we can't be sure anything's true, so why should we insist everybody believe the same thing? You go your way, I'll go your, my way, that kind of a thing. What's really interesting is that the Baptists did not have relativist reasons for why they argued for that. In fact, the ones that were the most authoritarian, the most bullying, the most, you know, squashing down alternative beliefs were actually the relativists. Now, some of you who have hung around on Twitter know exactly what I mean. <laughs> right? The people who are most, you go your way, I'll go mine, have no other way but their own. What's going on there? Well, the reason why we as Baptists really wanted to advocate for people to have freedom to say what they believed and everything like that is because in reality, you can't force anyone to believe anything. You can only force them to say that they believe something. Right? In their heads, many of them may well think that the whole Jesus thing is garbage. But if you're going to force them, they'll nod their heads and go, sure, sure, whatever you say. We figured that's actually counterproductive. From a traditional per, um, Baptist perspective, if somebody is wrong about Jesus in their heart, what's going to happen? They're going to hell, right? If, if people don't understand and don't accept what Jesus is on about, they're going to hell. We cannot afford for them to pretend 
just to make us happy. You might remember this from Romans 10. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. You cannot have one without the other. It's no good having the mouth without the heart. Okay. So if they're lying to me with their mouths, what's going to happen? I'll go to them and say, do you believe in Jesus? And they go, yeah, sure. And I go, great. Next. Right? And I'll go and start doing evangelism to the next one. But what happens if they feel free to actually tell me what they believe? I go to them, so what do you think of Jesus? And they go, I don't know, man. I, I'm a bit worried about this. I, I don't actually think that Jesus is, is right because I've got this issue. Well, now at least we can talk about it. Right? At least now we can discuss it. And then maybe, because Christianity is awesome, I'll be able to convince them of the right thing. Do you see the logic there? Right? On one level, you might be saying, well, this whole liberty of conscience idea seems kind of obvious now, although I might say, I think it's coming under more and more and more attack in our society every passing month. Right? But anyway, back to when the Baptists started, it, it wasn't obvious. Everybody in England had to go to the Anglican church. They had to be baptized as a baby. They had to go to church every Sunday. They had to recite that creed. And they had to pretend that they were a Christian. And the Baptists knew. They, they'd hung around with the people in the pews for long enough that they knew that most people were faking it. Most people didn't believe a word of it. Essentially, what liberty of conscience was then was, everyone, it was the Baptist saying, look, everyone, let's just be honest with where we're at, shall we? So we can have an honest, real conversation. Now, you might be sitting there and thinking, well, that's really interesting, but what's that got to do with creeds? Well, forcing everybody to read the creed every week in church was seen as a key way of enforcing this kind of pretend believing. Back when the early church had invented the creeds, way back, like, you know, in, the, in 100 AD and stuff, they weren't forcing anyone to become a Christian. They weren't forcing anyone to say it. Okay? They were a minority. They had, no, they had no power to actually do that. So the only people who were saying it back when they invented creeds in the first place were people who were willing to risk their lives to say that out loud. Okay? Right. But by the Baptist time, 1,500 years later, the church was forcing people to say it, and the Baptists didn't want to be a part of that. So what did the Baptists do? They came up with a different thing. And um, uh, I've got a picture of one of the things that they did up there. Um, do we have that? Yep. So it's pretty tiny, but it's called the Confession of Faith of those churches which are commonly, though, falsely called Anabaptist. <laughs> Don't worry about the falsely bit. It happens to do with, like, a major terrorist action in Germany. It's a long story. I'll tell it to you later. But the main thing I want you to notice is what's the big word in that sentence, in that title? Confession. confession. Now, what's that about? It, a confession, what's different between a creed and a confession is a confession is what you confess. It's what you choose and you say, I own this. No one's making me. No one's telling me to do this at my Anglican church every week or else I'm going to get into trouble. I, I'm owning this one. OK? 
okay? If you confess with your mouth, right? The great Baptist historian Leon Macbeth explains why a confession is different from a creed, actually better than I can, and this is what he says. A confession affirms what a group of Baptists, large or small, believes. A creed prescribes what members must believe. Do you see the difference? Now, that's okay. a creed is actually okay if the members have been in the position where they chose to become members. In the Anglican Church, no one got to choose to be a member in the, like, back when the Baptists started. You just were. You were born into it. Okay? Now, if you actually read these, and I'm a church historian, a Baptist church historian, this is what I do on a Friday night for fun. You know, it's either this or a Netflix episode. Um, uh, uh, but one of the things you'll notice is that they're actually not that different. The creeds and the confessions aren't actually that different. Most of the time, the confessions had kind of explanatory stuff, just clarifying what they mean by stuff, um, and particularly around the liberty of conscience stuff. So it's not like we looked at the creed and went, oh, we don't think any of that works, that stinks, we don't believe any of that, we've got a whole other batch of beliefs. It wasn't like that at all. All we did is said, yeah, we like that stuff, but you know what? We don't want to have to force people to say it, we want to own it for ourselves and be able to say it for ourselves if we want to. Okay? Now, sometimes in life, we do things to solve a specific problem, right? But then the problem goes away and we still keep doing it. There's an old joke I, I, I tell um, about a guy who his wife, whenever she was putting on a roast, she always cut the roast in half before she put it into the oven tray and stuck it in the oven, every time. And he goes, that's really weird. Like, why do you do that? And she goes, well, because that's how my mum did it. And she taught me how to make a roast, so I'm just doing what she did. Okay, that's a bit weird. Next time he goes around to the in-laws, he goes to his mum-in-law and goes, so why did you do that thing of chopping it in half and, and that kind of thing? And the, guy, and the, the mum-in-law goes, I don't know, it was just the way my mum did it, and she taught me how to do it, and I did it the same way. Now, by now, this guy's getting really curious, so he, he actually calls up the granny, because she's still alive, thank God, because otherwise this is dying in the grave, and he's like <laughs> bugging him, and he's like, so he goes, look, my wife and your daughter, they, they do this thing of chopping the, the lamb in half. What, what's going on there? What's with that? And she says, Oh, it was the only way I could fit it into my pan. I had a really small pan, and so the only way I could do it was just chopped it in half, and just then it could fit nice side by side. And his, his wife's got a, an oven this big. Right? So that seems to be what's been going on for Baptists with creeds. You know, we stopped doing them for a reason that at the time made total sense. But as if we live in a world now where we're forcing everybody in the country to recite the creed every Sunday and telling them you better believe it. Right? If it, in a lot of ways, which is our society more like? The society where everyone's being forced to say the Apostles' Creed or the one where, the, if you own that, yeah. you get yourself into a whole lot of trouble and it's a, it's a statement of courage to actually get up and say that. To say this stuff takes guts. I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But 
Firstly, I, I, kind of going on from there, what I'd like to do is to give you my four top reasons why any church, including you guys, would embrace this kind of stuff if at the very least singing something like I believe, you know, once a year on a, on a, um, a weekend like this. Why would you do it? Well, here's the first one. As a, as a way of worshipping together. Okay. What I want you to do is before you listen to it, you listen to me say it, and you kind of were going, that one's okay. I like that one. Hmm, yeah, okay. Like no, now what I want you to do is stand up. Uh, I hear it. You don't have to stand up if you don't believe it because I want to respect your liberty of conscience. But if you do actually believe it, why don't you stand up with me? And let's recite it together. You, you almost need like a, a, a musical counting, don't you? Two, three, four. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You did great. Take a seat. Just out of interest, you did that twice. You did it first listening to me, and the second time, you all stood up together and you all said it. All right? Did that feel different? Right? It, it feels different because you're not just assessing it, you're owning it. You're owning it for yourself. You're confessing it with your mouth. You are confessing that Jesus is Lord and a whole lot of other stuff that really matters. And the other thing is you hear it. It's a multi-sensory thing. You're seeing it, you're hearing it, and you're saying it, and you realize you are not alone. You realize that those around you, are they're willing to put their name to this too. They believe the same thing as you. You're sharing it with them. There's a solidarity there. It's really interesting. In lots of churches, uh, um, the creed is just spoken. But in some denominations, um, uh, not least of all, like the whole Pentecostal um, uh, thing that we just did before, it's sung. Now, here's an interesting thing about when you add music to something like this. The music adds meaning in and of itself, right? So, I mean, the, 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 Pentecost, the, the um, Hillsong one, I believe in God the Father. I find it hard to figure out what 
emotion they're trying to convey, right? Maybe you can help me out with that. Um, uh, it's almost a, a, a kind of feel of almost togetherness. Like they, they're trying to capture that kind of thing. When Greeks sing this, I've had a bit to do with the Greek Orthodox community, and one of the things you have to realize about when the Greeks sing this is their tune is very aggressive. It's really aggressive. It's, it's I believe this, come at me, bro. <laughs> like, it seriously is. Um, it, 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 you can almost feel them sticking out their chest and going, I believe it, come on. Why? Because Greek Christians have always had to hold on to what they believe in the face of vicious attacks. I'm a church historian, I know about this, you may not know, but like, when, when the Nicene um, Creed, the Nicene, I can stand the Bulletin Creed, um, uh, was decided, okay, they had to defend that faith from heretics for a couple of hundred years. Some of them often in tremendous positions of power, emperors and stuff. Right? And once they finished with that, the Muslims came. And they had to sing that every week as the Muslims slowly encroached into all of their lands. Now, eventually, the Greek Christian population were entirely occupied for 400 years by the Muslim Turks. And the Muslim Turks were absolutely dedicated to one goal, to assimilate every single Greek person into becoming a Muslim. So when a Greek gets up every Sunday and sings, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, that, that is a statement of defiance. Right? It is, it is saying, you have not got rid of our faith yet. Our forefathers, they said these words, and you haven't got rid of us. Not yet. Not today. Now, this leads to the second reason. When you say these words, the words that you just said, you're saying words that, are pe that people across this city this weekend have all said. I mean, look, don't get me wrong, I'm sure your sermons are awesome, but they are all kind of localized. I mean, your podcasts go everywhere around the world, I know that, but like, you know what I mean? Like, there's something about what you bring to your local congregation and say, this is the word that God has given us, which makes total sense. But there's something powerful about in the midst of that, having something that you know that not only are you standing and saying that with your congregation, you are saying that with everyone across this city who, who in their churches, you know, Anglican churches, Catholic churches, Orthodox churches all over the place. Now, look, do we have issues with those people at times? Sure, absolutely. Do we disagree? Sure. But there are some things that we actually share with them, and those are pretty darn important things. And it's not just this city. It's across the world. Billions of people, billions of people said what you just said this week. You are connected to those people by the, the fact that you and they can say proudly, bravely, defiantly, I believe in God, 
Father, Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And it's not just them. You are connected by these words to every believer across millennia. The words that you say are the words that Christians like those Greeks and like you know, any number of people across the world have said for thousands of years. Two more reasons, and these are just quick. Thirdly, it's actually evangelistic. So um, uh, I want to reiterate that welcome that Carl gave um, to any people who are here. And you might be sitting here as a, as a non-Christian, and you're like, what is this whole Christianity thing about? Like, what do I have to believe? What do I have to do? Like, what, what are they on about? This tells you, real quick, real fast, bang. Right? The creed can't do everything. But as a summary of what you need to believe as a Christian, it's not a bad start. And that leads to the last question, uh, the last reason. I hope that if you are a non-Christian, that you actually look at this and you see the character of the life of the people around you, and you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit that leads to you becoming a Christian, and saying, I, I want to come to Jesus. I, I, I'm in. Well, the creed is really good for training people in that. I mean, you were just talking about your, your young adult, you know, developing something. Creeds are really useful, because the Apostles' Creed, actually where it was most used, was baptisms for the early church. People would recite it, before they went under the water. Not this place, but I know a lot of places where they do baptisms. It's kind of like, do you think Jesus is okay? Great. <laughs> like that. And you just kind of sit there and go, if I wanted a driver's license, I'd have to show more commitment than that. You know? And, like, I mean, you're not marrying Jesus on one level, but it's kind of more than marrying. And if, can you imagine a wedding where the two of them went, you think she's okay? Yeah. You think he's okay? Yeah, great, we're done. Right? Like, no. You actually want some meat to that, don't you? You want to actually own it for yourself. You want to say, yeah, this is what I'm on about. Well, this is what the creed was. So if you were going to be baptized, they asked you, do you believe? Do you believe? In God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And you went, yeah. And I don't care who he is. Yeah. Right? Um, uh, now, the thing that the early church kind of figured out pretty quick with baptism um, was that while in the New Testament you, you see baptisms like, you know, like the Ethiopian in Acts 8, it's kind of like, there's a ditch. Why don't we just do it today? What's your name again? Great, let's go. That actually died out really quick. And the reason was because um, the Roman government were persecuting people and, and killing us. And so what the early church realized was some people did not realize what they were getting themselves into. So we better make darn sure that they're serious before we baptize them. And so you actually went through a, um, a process of between one to three years of training before you got baptized to really, are you legit? Are you on about this? Right. You can almost think of it like a, an engagement before the wedding. And so what that meant was that they, they, they trained those people for three years and they asked them, 
Like, do you actually understand what you're getting into? And what did they use? They used this. They used the creeds. Right? So that when the person did get up, they had already learned the creed by heart, and their mentors had taken them through it, kind of in discipleship training, line by line, and explained what each of those meant, what it meant for your life, what, what implications it had for your life, like where it was in the scriptures, how it was understood in the scriptures, everything. Okay? This is something um, uh, like probably what Paul meant when he advised Timothy um, before he died in 2 Timothy 2. This is one of the last things Paul commands Timothy, his, his uh, mentor before he dies. He says, and, you, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people. So what Paul has said to Timothy... Timothy has to pass on to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. You see, that's four generations in one sentence. And what is he teaching them? Well, probably that bit that we were talking about in 1 Corinthians 15 before. What I received, I pass on to you. Then, once you'd been trained, you went in to be baptized, and it was not just, hey, you think Jesus is okay. It was in front of everybody here today, including that government official just up the back. Do you believe? Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Do you believe that? And you got to say yes. And you got to live that out every single day of the rest of your life and every Sunday you came in and you said yes still this week this is what I've signed up for this is what I'm committed to that was saying it with their mouths and believing it with their heart and they've been doing it ever since those are the people that we celebrate I mean we've got we got tremendous heroes you know Bonhoeffer and Luther and Calvin and all kinds of great people who did amazing stuff. But in heaven, there is just as much glory given, just as much celebration of you know, a victory given to the person who had the guts to say that. No matter what, among the people that were around them. I'd like that for you guys too.